Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 256 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you? I'm good. We definitely just recorded an intro before this intro, so we're going to act natural like we didn't just talk. Um, yeah, good good job with that. Nailed it. People <laughs> never know. So sneaky. Um, no, I'm good. And I'm, I'm pumped for people to listen to this because it's Owen Colfer who wrote all of the Artemis Fowl books. And he has a graphic novel called Illegal, which is also wonderful. Um, and the Artemis Fowl books are becoming movies right now, which is super cool. We got to talk about that. Uh, this was a live interview I did at Book Expo America. I think it was Book Expo. Everything is blending together, you guys. Um, he's just a super great guy. And it was he told me all about the cast of Artemis Fowl. How excited he was to meet Josh Gad. I would be excited to meet Josh Gad. It's actually, if you follow Owen Colfer on social media, he's like friends with Josh Gad now, and they interact back and forth sometimes. And I get real salty. I was like, oh, man, that sounds amazing. And he's like, yeah, he does break out into song. Um, The majority of this episode is all about his graphic novel, Illegal, which tells the story of some young African children trying to escape their poverty-stricken lives that they're in in Africa to you know, get to a different and a better life. And so um, not only do we talk about the graphic novel itself, we talk about the idea of it, and he talks about some different places that people can uh, donate money or donate time if they're, if they're able to help out, if they have an interest in that kind of thing. So um, the graphic novel is really powerful. I know a lot of schools are using it to teach already and different stuff like that. So, yeah, it's good stuff. So, Sounds good. Okay. If people want to get a hold of us, how, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. There you can find all of our links for Twitter and Instagram, which are both at ProBookNerds. Um, you can join our Viber community from there. So if you want to come chat more books, mm-hmm. come join our Viber community. And you can email us professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Hey, before we go, there's a, depending on what day you listen to this, there's a pretty big Harry Potter event going on we should probably tell people about, huh? That oh, you, probably. The fact that you, you wrote the blog, that's why <laughs> I was going to have you talk about it. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, that thing. Depending on, again, depending on when you hear this, we're both Googling, or we're both looking up our own blog in real time. Um, so depending on when you hear this, we're doing this very, very cool thing where if you are a U.S. library card holder, which I know a lot of our listeners are, it's coming up depend, It's coming up in a week after this if you hear it in real time. But starting on August 27th through September 10th, you can go to your U.S. – sorry, your North American library, whatever library it is, and you go to their website on Libby or go to their Overdrive site on your computer – and you can borrow Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone if you're in Canada uh, without any wait lists or holds, just like Big Library Read, except for it's Harry freaking Potter. So despite the fact that we're celebrating 20 years of the book being out, despite the fact that it's been out for 20 years, this book definitely has a wait list at your library. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, go check it out. It's really cool. Um, is there more about that that we should... No, I think that about covers it. Okay, cool. I know. Um, yeah, I think that about covers it. Okay, cool. Like your standard library loan mm-hmm. will apply regardless of when you check it out. So even if you check it yeah. out on the last day, you'll still get it for the full 
time yeah. of the checkout. Um, oh, and our friends at Pottermore are sending us some posters that Jill and I are going to get to give away on social media, but we don't have a hashtag or anything for you guys yet. So we'll have more information about that soon. But they're giving us some stuff to give away to you guys. So definitely be sure to listen in to hear all of that. Okay. I think that's everything. Yes. Okay. That cool. I think is everything. All right. Cool. Harry Potter and Artemis Fowl are, they don't have anything in common other than this fact that they have young kids in them and they're both wildly popular. So there's your transition. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Owen Colfer on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and I am incredibly honored to be sitting next to Owen Colfer, whose books have sold millions of copies worldwide, including his wildly popular Artemis Fowl series. His stories have inspired children and young adults, and many adults as well. And a little bit later today, we're going to be discussing your brand new graphic novel, which just came out called Illegal. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. I hear great things about this podcast. Oh, well, that makes me feel happy. Okay, cool. can you give people an introduction to Illegal? Because it's a little bit different from what they might be expecting from what you've had in the past come out. Illegal is such a departure for me. Um, and I, it was suggested by my co-writer, Andrew Duncan, who said to me, we've got about 100,000 kids who read our graphic novels. Maybe we should do some good... I thought, well, I don't want to write kind of a preachy message book. But right. he said, no, this is, we're writers. We should be able to do it yeah. without being preachy and patronizing. So we, this is a book about uh, forced migration from Africa up through the Sahara Desert, across the Mediterranean, uh, and into Europe, which is a huge problem right now. They estimate that well over a million migrants try to make that perilous journey every year. So that, in a way, is too much sadness for mine to handle if you look at a photograph of 300 people in a small boat that is so sad and tragic that you can't even deal with it yeah um so what we thought we would do is just deal with two boys mm-hmm. and make them very real and lovable and we follow them all the way from uh, northern ghana uh, up through niger across the sahara into libya and tripoli and then across the Mediterranean, and finally, do they make it to Italy or don't they? Right. I was, I was wondering if you're going to take everyone through the journey again. I can see you kind of thinking about <laughs> yeah. it going through. So, what made you want to tell this specific story? Because, like you mentioned, your, your writing partner basically said, "We yeah. have an audience. We sh- there's we have an ability to make a difference." Yeah. So, what was it about this particular story that that was this was the one you guys wanted to tell? Well, this is a huge story currently in. Uh, Europe, but when we began to write this four years ago, what really upset us was the small amount of coverage it was getting. Because at the time, you would have a tiny article saying 120 people lost at sea, and there'd be no follow up, there'd be no names, nobody knew. Right. So it was like these poor nameless victims. So we thought if our audience are reading or seeing these pictures, mm-hmm. they don't know what it's about, they just see this boat, so we can get to them through the graphic novel. But because there are kids reading a graphic novel, it also has to be entertaining. Right. Uh, so the message is kind of woven into that entertainment. I guess, so what do you, I, as an adult, this is something that, you know, I read this and I wanted to get more information about it. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to go and I wanted to search and, and learn more and see how I could yeah. help. Yeah. What do you hope that young readers, yeah. like what do you hope they're kind of 
call, call to action. But what yeah. do you hope their moment is after this story? Oh, the first thing we hope is that people will be aware of the story. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem is people just don't know what's happening. Uh, I asked a, a young boy at the beginning of our talk that we do, we showed a slide and we said, well, what do you think is happening here? And they said, oh, that's all people trying to sneak into our country and, you know, take our taxes. And they just... 10 year olds aren't thinking about sneaking into your country and taking your taxes right. they just want to live yeah. you know they don't want to starve to death uh, so we're hoping that if you read this book then maybe you will understand the guy who's sitting beside you who made that journey mm-hmm. but doesn't have the language to tell you about the journey and that has actually been the most uh, emotional uh, aspect for me from going around to schools is you have a lot of kids who, who came from Ghana or Syria and they could never they just didn't have enough English to tell the kids sitting beside them what happened, but now they can just they're pointing to this happened yeah. or that happened. So that's been very nice and quite emotional actually. So as you mentioned, like given all of your success in the past, you knew that you did have an audience yeah. to speak to, but were you ever concerned with this that you wouldn't be able to find people? Because there's this I feel like there's a lot of times a negative connotation for adults when it comes to graphic novels where they yeah. think it can't tell a serious story but at the same time when you look at it yeah. it absolutely is a serious story so yeah. were you ever concerned about parents not wanting to read because it's a graphic novel and then not wanting their children oh, to yeah. read oh yeah I mean graphic novels have a bad rap I think yeah. uh, and kids books sometimes in general but we felt that we wanted to get to our people mm-hmm. and our people do read graphic novels yeah. so we were very much targeting uh, but a lovely side effect has been that it's, it's going into schools now in the UK and Ireland mm-hmm. because there's a lot of reluctant readers, boys especially, who yeah. won't read a novel but will read a graphic novel. And so hopefully those kids will read that. And if you've read a book like this and if you've been exposed to the uh, to things that happen to those kids, it's very difficult for someone to turn you against that child. Yeah. So, if, so if someone comes into your class who's made that journey, you won't make any, you know, negative assumptions about them. You think, well, maybe they've been through this kind of thing, and I should maybe be a little more, uh, I should be a little more open to being their friend. You, you touched on something that I absolutely agree with, where reluctant readers, yeah. especially reluctant boy readers, are more, yeah. they tend to gravitate towards graphic novels. Yeah. And so I, I feel like this is an incredible way to tell an important story, yeah. because if you were to give... You know, a twelve-year-old uh, New Yorker article about yeah. Yeah. trafficking. They're not going to read it, but no, this exactly. is a way to kind of tell the story. So, do you see yourself maybe telling more of these types of stories moving forward? Yeah, absolutely, we do. And we have there's a lot of issues that Andrew and I care deeply about, and we're certainly going to do another one on a, on a similar issue. We've begun to plan already. Uh, in, in the Artemis Fowl books, I used to kind of hide a little environmental message in every book, right. but people never believed me. I mean, I remember I wrote a, a chapter about nuclear submarines that are abandoned in northern Russia, and kids live in them, mm-hmm. and they're leaking, you know, and yeah. people say, yeah, well, that's, that's your fairy book, that's leprechauns. So I right. said, no, no, they're, those subs are there. Uh-huh. So that was a little frustrating. <laughs> But of course, it's to be expected you're writing a book about flying fairies. But I think now with this book, we are very clear to say that everything that happened in there actually happened to somebody. Right. So much so that at the back there is a little uh, reportage section. Yes. Which tells the absolutely word for word true story 
of a young woman who's now a nurse in Leeds in England. Just to show that the, the true story verbatim is actually even more uh, uh, insane in some ways than, yeah. than, not what we, than the one we made up. Yeah, no, this, this is definitely a much more... I hate when people say grounded because it, yeah. makes, it gives like a negative connotation yeah. to fantasy stories, which I like, adore fantasy books. But it, did it feel challenging to you to write something that was you know, set in this very serious yeah. real world? Like, did it feel different to you? It did. It felt different. And I did worry about it because there is an expectation in my books to be very funny and light and fast-paced. And I thought, well, maybe people are going to pick this up and not like what they see. But I think we've kept it fast-paced, and because there's two boys involved, there is, there is some fun. But my biggest worry about this was that this is an African problem. Well, it's a world problem, but it's mainly involving African people. And Gio, Andrew, and I, we are three middle-class European white men. Yeah. And I didn't want to be seen as, look at these guys, appropriating a story. And, and I think the way to avoid that is to be tell it very sensitively. Uh, and I think when you read it, you, it's quite clear that we're not trying to make a, make a dollar right. from someone who's uh, had such, some people who've had a hard time in their lives. So, but that was, that was a real tightrope we had to walk. That's such an incredible, incredible point to, to bring out because we'll have diverse authors on the yeah. podcast all the time. And I'll ask them a similar question where it's like, okay, I'm a middle class, straight, yeah. white male. Like, I am as generic as this manila folder sitting in front of me. I understand that. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. So if I was to try and write a story and yeah. I wanted it to be an LGBTQ story yeah, or yeah. I wanted it to be about someone from, you know, Niger, like, yeah. it is such a tight rope to walk. Yeah. So was there, did you, like, to research about, like, the best yeah. ways? Did you have kind of, like, sensitivity readers that looked into the like looked into the story we didn't we didn't have sensitivity readers uh, i mean we did a lot of research mm-hmm. i lived in in tunisia tunisia in north africa for two years mm-hmm. so i felt i had a rapport with people of north africa that i worked with and taught but at the end of the day if, if you're a sensitive sensible human being and you're not kind of make trying to make this into some adventure mm-hmm. blockbuster about you know I think sometimes when people are, are appropriating, mm-hmm. they kind of make it over noble. So everybody is very noble and just and you know, stands yeah. on the prow of the boat. Right. Like, I'm not appropriating. Look how noble this person yeah. is. Yeah, this isn't Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, this is the real guys that you, I would hope, you fall in love with these characters uh-huh. and you really, really want them to make it. So you mentioned that you, you yeah, lived and worked in Tunisia. Was yeah. that, was this book a byproduct of that or was, did you actively be like, I want to write this story and I want to go and myself in there yeah I want I it was a bit of both I had written about uh, Tunisia before uh, and I loved the culture down there and I had two great years down there but it was very nice to be able to draw on that well of research that I didn't know I was doing at the time mm-hmm. and to use it in this book because you know Libya is beside Tunisia so right. a, the climate is the same the cities are very similar mm-hmm. the souks storm drains all that kind of stuff I was able to use Uh, which was great and it did add a stamp of authenticity uh, to the book because there's nothing worse than people writing and it is either obvious that they have no idea what they're talking about or else they really want to show you that they know what they're talking about so you know two thirds of the book is uh, references to tiny corners and obscure streets 
So we wanted to try and strike a happy medium um, of the things you would see if you were passing quickly through these towns in Africa. So there's, there's some things in there that I, I don't want to keep a lot of the story away, but you know, one of the main characters, he basically finds antiseptic wipes and yeah. uses them as almost like currency for, yeah, yeah. To, as a way to survive. Are, are these things that you like saw people doing? Because yeah. uh, that feels like such a specific yeah. event that would happen. Like, that was one of the retro... Uh, retro engineered I had that idea uh, and then my friend Andrew uh, he was working very closely with Migrant Voice which is a charity in the UK and I said to Andrew can we find out about currencies what would be used and I said I had this idea that this guy would find a packet of wipes and he would dole them out one at a time yeah. uh, and so he checked it out he said absolutely the, the woman said anything anything works it's like it's the barter system in these suits whatever people don't have cash yeah. so whatever you have you go and try and, and, and swap it to stay alive so that was good to know but it was something that I wouldn't have put in if we, did, we had I had a lot of ideas and yeah. a lot of them didn't make it uh-huh. because they were like no that wouldn't happen right I, and it, I, I think when people read this even just like setting yourself into this different lifestyle like yeah. they so many people in Africa spend a majority of their day just going to get water, just yeah. coming to coming in and going just to get water to survive. Oh, yeah. it's, I mean, I have a bottle of water sitting in front of me. I would never think twice about the fact no. that I have it available. To These me. kids like they and they queue. The queues are unbelievable. Uh, if you're in summer, you know the jungle in Calais, which is now being torn down, but you know you could spend you spend six hours a day in just queuing up for something to eat and yeah. some some water. So. We have no concept, and kids walking six miles to get to school, right. six miles to come home. It's just, it's so removed uh, from our lifestyle. Even, I mean, although it does touch us, it touches in the States. You, you mean you walked in any street in New York, you can see, you know, a couple of homeless people mm-hmm. just trying to keep together. Yeah. So, yeah, we are quite, we are quite privileged, yeah. and uh, it's good. When I taught in Africa, it was, it was amazing the effect it had on the kids because these kids would come from the States. I worked for an American oil company. Uh, and they would be, like myself, be very privileged. We were all really privileged. And, you know, we couldn't get the brand of cola we wanted. It was a catastrophe. <laughs> and to see those kids change and realize that there was a larger world out there, I, I would imagine those kids and myself have been changed forever by that. Uh, and I, I mean, every now and then I return to that subject because it really affects you. If you have any humanity at all in you, I mean, right. if you go to a, an orphanage in Africa where the kids are, uh, you know, there's no money from the state and the, the people who run it are all volunteers and they give all their money from their own jobs. I mean, there's some, just, there's saints and heroes out there that are not celebrated. Right. And uh, this, this book maybe goes a little way just to mentioning a few of those people. Yeah. I'm curious because I know that that you and Andrew and, and Giovanni, you were all created, you were all collaborating on the creation yeah. of the Artemis Fowl yeah. graphic novels. So I know a lot of times when people do graphic novels or comics, it's very separated in the yeah. sense that one of you tells the story and the other one creates the yeah. art around it. But for this particular story, the, the words and the art feel so interconnected. So how much yeah. collaboration is there for this particular story between the story and the artwork? There's a lot of collaboration. Every step of the way, uh, we all have to agree. That's one of our things. You know, if, if the three of us agree, then it's in. If one doesn't agree, then it, it has to go out. So, in that way, we police ourselves. Uh, but we've been friends for a long time, so nobody takes anything personally. 
and also we all know we're all I mean Andrew and I are 53 so we I think Gio is is mid 40s so we're not kids there's no ego involved it's all about the book now we've done enough books to know that if the book is better then it reflects well on all of us but Gio uh, his parents are from Sicily so he has a lot of first hand experience of these boats coming in so he he sees that all the time his parents see it so he really got on board with this very quickly and his character sketches came in uh, straight away and he just I, I just wanted to I had said at the beginning I want this boy Ebo to be magical mm-hmm. in some way so that you uh, fall in love with him as a character and it took me a long time to find what could be magical about him that wouldn't put this in a fantasy world mm-hmm. and so what we I decided on was he, he would be a lovely singer yeah because I love I think music is kind of an alchemy uh-huh. so a person who can sing has this amazing gift that they can just like whip out whenever, whenever they, they need to so we gave him a few instances in this book where singing actually really helps. Yeah, I, and I love those because yeah. it is. It's something I've been eternally jealous of yeah. friends yeah. of mine who yeah, can yeah. sing. Yeah. Because it is. It's also the same thing. I have a friend who's a savant at piano playing. Yeah. And I just know that if we're at a party somewhere, he's yeah. going to be able to do that parlor trick where he's yeah. going to be able to captivate an entire audience. Oh, yeah. And he will absolutely can do that in this. Yeah. And it, 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 it was so refreshing to see something as simple as singing. Yeah. Like, and you're absolutely, magical is the perfect word for yeah. it. Um, I'm curious if you find the process of writing a graphic novel more challenging than a, you know, kind of a full-length novel novel, as they would say. Like, I feel like a lot of times people see, oh, well, there's less words, so it must yeah. be easier, but yeah. they have to mean so much more. The, it's a different process altogether, and I, I learned that from Andrew um, when we were working on the Artemis Fowl novels. Uh, the difference is that all a novel novel, all the words have to be very... Um, creative, uh, whether it's a description passage or the, uh, the dialogue. But with the graphic novel, the descriptive passages are very clinical. Uh-huh. So it's not creative. It's like bush on the top left, water bottom right, silver spark, you know, moonlight on water. Right. So it's almost phrasing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it takes a while, it took a while for me to get out of my mystical poet mode <laughs> and to get into like almost journalist mode. Yeah. Uh, but and then the dialogue was kind of left and there were some songs we had to write and I, I found that very interesting mm-hmm. uh, so, so there's something yeah Andrew's better at the he'll tell me when I'm going a little off off, off base yeah you know pull me back to so just calm down uh-huh. we don't need these <laughs> ten adjectives yeah. We, yeah. we don't have space for this paragraph yeah, yeah exactly so uh, I mean most of the writing never makes it into the mm-hmm. comic book because it's just reference for Geo I was going to say I imagine that yeah additional copy is almost like when you see a PowerPoint presentation yeah. that someone else has made for you to reference yeah. the notes. It's very, uh, it's like reading someone else's notes on their PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, so the presenter's notes, if you like. I really like when you just said about it being kind of journalistic. I haven't heard anyone yeah. describe it, but that's absolutely right. I yeah. I suffer with that when I'm doing writing for a company and my manager will be yeah. like, Adam, you're using 10 words when one would have sufficed. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I do like that Microsoft Word and different applications now, they'll basically underline like five words and you right click it and it's just like, you meant that. The word yeah, is that, just, a, just that. This is what you actually meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that the Artemis Fowl books are becoming a movie. Do you yeah. have any information you are allowed to share about that? Well, uh, I, I was I was out on the set a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and they, it was kind of mind-blowing to see something that's in your brain is now 200 people are working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so they built the foul manor which features in most of the movies so rather than build a lot of sound stages they actually built that the is manor. amazing and uh, it's, it is amazing so on every square inch is decorated it is incredible and uh, so what I can tell you is that it stars two newcomers uh, Ferdia Shaw uh, and Laura MacDonald and they are playing Artemis and Holly Ferdia is actually the grandson of Robert Shaw who, who was fr from Jaws oh uh, yeah, yeah so just by total coincidence uh, so that's great and uh, I suppose the, the known stars would be uh, Judy Dench and Josh Gad yes yeah. Who I've met a couple of times. He's absolute an absolute sweetheart. So, oh, um, that. so that's coming out. Uh, it won't be. Out. They're finishing filming in about two weeks, and then it'll be out in, in a year's time when they finish all the special effects. Josh Gad seems like someone I would just want to hang out with. He just seems like a lot of fun. He's very casual, very nice, very very funny. Mm -hmm. Bursts into song at a moment's notice. Oh yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Speaking of sing. So yeah, that's my my. I think of all of, of everything, my kids were most impressed with meeting. Uh, yeah. Do you ever find yourself missing writing in that world, like Artemis Fowl? Well, I, I do, but um, when I finished Artemis Fowl, uh, I said I'm taking five years out of the fairy world and then I'm going to go back. So I'm going to go back, but not with Artemis, but I think with his little brothers. Mm -hmm. oh. So Miles and Beckett. So it will be a different kind of story, but mm -hmm. possibly uh, more, leaning more towards the comedic. So I'm looking forward to that because I know authors and publicists are very specific about stuff. Can I leave that in here? Can I let oh, people know that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Um, <laughs> do you have maybe other graphic novel book recommendations or just book recommendations in general that you yeah. think people should be reading? I love I love books with a, that have a really specific voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I'm drawn to books with really intelligent children in mm -hmm. them. And I think the book that epitomizes all that for me is True Grit. Yeah. A lot of people have seen the movies, but I don't think as many people have read the book. Yeah. And it is an amazing book about this young girl trying to find, bring to justice the, the man who killed her father. But her voice is, is fabulous. And it does not sugarcoat the ending. Right. Uh, and also, uh, Huckleberry Finn is like that too. It has an amazing uh, voice where Huckleberry is talking directly um, to the to his readers so if I could recommend two and of course one of my all time favourites would be The Princess Bride uh, so which which is so good and yeah. I've read that as a child and again as an adult and that would be like my standard bearer for how you should write a fantasy book oh it's yeah. per, it's so per, it's a yeah. perfect novel it's yeah. I would I'd agree 100% perfect yeah. Um, okay, so towards the end of our show, we like to do, we have nine questions that we call the Nerd Nine, because I like alliteration. I should excel in Nerd Nine. Perfect. Okay, these are lighthearted. So the first yeah. one is, do you remember the, the last book you finished reading? Oh, I've, I read The Sisters Brothers, uh, which is, uh, I can't remember the, is DeWitt, Charles DeWitt, I think. Mm -hmm. It's about two brothers, and their name is Sisters, and they're cowboys and the assassins in the old west. So that is an excellent one. I also read his previous book, or actually it was... Not his previous book, but I read it uh, in that order. And under Under Major Domo Minor, mm -hmm. which is like a fantasy book for grown-ups. That's so very, very good. So I would recommend both of those. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Uh, I do like to read in beds. I think it's like, it's a great way to relax, but it's um, it is dangerous because sometimes I would be up till two o'clock uh -huh. in the morning, oh, uh, yeah. and my wife would keep elbowing me, saying, "Turn off the light." So I do have one of these little. 
book lights. It kind of like sits on the, the book. It does, but I very strangely keep it in my mouth. So I, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to read because it works better for me. It looks strange, but it works better. Do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading? Wow. Uh, I think the book that made me fall in love with reading was Peter Pan. Um, I've loved that since I was a child. Uh, and I, funnily, I loved that because of Captain Hook. Yeah. Because I thought that was, this was a villain. I thought, this, no, that's, that's a great villain. And, and uh, I think Artemis Fowl is a little bit modeled after that style of I can sarcastic intelligentsia. So, but yeah, and like I remember being really angry when Peter Pan won in the end because I thought there's no way. Yeah, there's no way he would beat Captain Hook. That's actually my yeah. uh, my father. Yeah. That was that's the, I grew up loving Peter Pan because my yeah. dad he still to this day he's 68 years yeah. young. That's yeah. what he tells me because he believes in his mind he's Peter Pan. There so, you go. Um, what's one place to, you would like to travel that you haven't been to yet? I have never been to Hawaii, mm-hmm. and I would really like to go there. I mean, I would love to see the volcano. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose and they're running tours there I believe yeah but uh, maybe it, it's not the nicest thing to do to watch people's homes being covered in, in, in lava but I would like to see that and, yeah uh, hopefully I'll, I will get there someday yeah. uh, are you a coffee person or a tea person I am mostly coffee mm-hmm. but I didn't drink a cup of coffee until I was 45 oh because I had a avo- I don't know how I'd avoid it but then I went to Brazil on tour and my publicist said what is, yeah you can't so if you're gonna drink it anywhere, so that's... every cup of coffee I've had since then has been disappointment <laughs> because I started at the you very started top. at the top, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's nothing you can do from there. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, I would say, well, a bit of both. I like dogs, but they take less minding than cats. That's fair. So if I could have a dog that behaved like a cat, <laughs> that would be perfect. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, I do like Christmas, and I think I like Christmas so much because my wife loves Christmas. So I just kind of watch her like in Christmas. Yeah, sort of like piggyback and, off yeah, of Yeah, I piggyback off that. And yeah, and my kids love it. Even though they're older now, they still... I think a lot of people regress a little bit when it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. So uh, our teenager, you know, likes us again. That kind <laughs> of thing. So I, yeah, I'll hold on to that for as long as I can. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Well, I do like pizza. Uh, but I try... I've, I try. It's a treat now. Mm-hmm. So once... In a very rare while, I would have a pizza. You're in a good city for it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, my day, I did have some yesterday. Yeah, I, so I did too. I broke my fast. I found a little one of those 99-cent corner yeah, places yeah. at the end of the night. I was like, I just need something. Yeah. Uh, last one of these. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Well, I, I, uh, that's, I, I, I would have to choose between two of my pop star, um, a rock star, Either David Bowie or Freddie Mercury. I'm not sure That's which cool. one. Whoever right. was available. Yeah. I would take either of those guys. They were my two big heroes. Those are fantastic choices. Okay, two more questions for you. One, if people read this book, Illegal, and they are motivated to want to yeah. do something, yeah. Yeah. Where, what, where can they go to maybe... There's so many, so many uh, charities for migrants. Uh, we donated a lot to Migrant Voice. I personally think it's a good idea to go local if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I choose in Dublin is called Focus Ireland, mm-hmm. and it deals with homeless people. And why I associate that with migrants is there's statistics where one in four migrants end up on the street. So this particular charity uh, helps to deal with that. But you don't have to make, it doesn't have to be money. It can be time or it can be old clothes. If you have a pair of gloves or a pair of shoes that you don't use anymore, no. Or books, 
or telephone credit. That's a big thing, yeah. so they can keep in touch with their family. A, a guy we interviewed used to, used to just go down to uh, France uh, with SIM cards, yeah. and little tiny things like that can really help more than you can know. But the biggest thing you can do, I think, as a young person, is to show compassion, because it is probably likely that if it hasn't happened already, in the next few years, there will be a couple of these people coming into your class, mm -hmm. and it would be great for them if you kind of already had an understanding of what they had been through, yeah. and you were open to being friends with them. That's perfect. I, this book is so important, and it's also just incredible to read. I, it was an honor just to get it, and an even bigger one to talk with you on. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, today. Adam. Absolutely. Lovely, lovely. I love this meeting. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, AKA their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.